Tonight, we are going to um, continue talking about prophecy. That's our one word for today and for this week. You'll be reading about prophecy this, uh, this next week. So go ahead and get your Bible out. We're going to be uh, flipping around to various places, learning a little more about this word. There's a lot uh, to cover on this word and this topic. Uh, too much to get to in a Sunday morning sermon. So we're going to revisit it and, and cover some more ground tonight. Let me share just some background with you. Uh, the word in the Old Testament, which is translated prophecy, is the Hebrew word naba, which originally meant to bubble up or to boil forth. And so it had this idea of um, something getting so full that it spilled over the top. And so we can understand how that word transferred to those who were given a message from God. And the speech just poured forth from them, uh, communicating the very words of God to their audience. But the biblical use has the idea in the Old Testament of someone receiving a word from God and then proclaiming, proclaiming God's speech. And that word is used 123 times in the Old Testament. So very important idea. When we move into the New Testament, the word that is translated prophecy uh, should sound a little more familiar to you. It is the Greek word prophetuo, and it referred to the proclaimer of the divine inspired message of God. And the word, or the words prophet or prophesy, are found in the New Testament uh, around 216 times, so even more than in the Old. So, a very important concept, very important idea. And you know, a lot of times we think, biblically speaking, that the prophets were a special class unto themselves. And we think about those men that I mentioned this morning, that Matthew uh, references their words as being fulfilled in Christ. Isaiah and Jeremiah, Micah and Hosea, they, they in our minds are the prophets. But really all writers of Scripture are in a sense prophets because they were given a message of God that they then communicated. And we believe, as Paul teaches in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is God-breathed. And so all Scripture, uh, all the writers of Scripture were inspired of God uh, to create inspired writings. And so in that sense, they are prophets because they received a message of God uh, and then they conveyed that message to their audience, to us. The question that I want us to consider and to reflect on tonight is this question. Why did God choose to communicate His will through men? And this is not going to be purely speculative. We're not just going to be, you know, sort of taking a stab at it. We're going to look at some Scripture, and I think Scriptures provide us with several compelling reasons why, but this is a worthwhile question for us to think about. Why would God pick this means for communicating His message to humanity? I think that as we begin to dig into this question, the answer will reveal to us important truths about God, His character, but also how He has chosen to operate in our world today. And really, the first thought that comes to my mind when I see this question, and just to consider the fact that God has chosen this means, He has chosen people through the years 
through whom to communicate his message as, you know, and it's preserved for us in the Holy Scriptures. That is amazing. Uh, It is awe-inspiring that God would entrust the message of truth and salvation to earthen human vessels. Isn't that extraordinary? Uh, That God would, would use frail, humble human men in order to communicate divine truth. It's extraordinary that God, that God picks this means of, of communicating His message. But some of us may think, as we consider that fact, wouldn't it have just been better if God had communicated directly to His people? Now, to be sure, this did happen. And we have instances recorded in the Scriptures where God directly communicated with His people, but that is the exception and not the rule. For the most part, if you wanted to hear a message from God, you found one of His authentic, inspired prophets. That is the way that, for the most part, God decided to communicate to His people through other people. And so, as we think about this, maybe... You're thinking along these lines, you know, maybe it was better. It would have been better for God just to communicate directly. Because it seems maybe to you that there are some pitfalls, there are some obstacles in the method that God chose in communicating through through men, through prophets. Here's one possible obstacle. The prophet might decide to withhold the message he received. This is one possible pitfall of using humans in order to convey a divine message? What if the prophet decides not to communicate the message given to him by God? What if the divine writer decides not to record the words that that the Holy Spirit was carrying him along to record? Or what if the prophet or the divine writer of Scripture decides to not communicate all of it, or to communicate it inaccurately, or to not share any of it at all. So it seems that God is taking a risk here and that by choosing this means, God has to reckon with human free will, with human free agency. So that's one possible pitfall. Another is this. The people that he wants to communicate to might fail to listen to the message proclaimed. It may seem to some of you that they might listen better if it was God himself, if if it was his voice booming down from heaven, communicating to his people in a, in a way that could, you know, could not be argue, argued with. But by communicating through prophets and human messengers, maybe it's that some would fail to listen to the message proclaimed because it's coming from a, 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 fellow, a fellow man. Or what about this? The people might not trust the message as being from God. The people to whom God wants to communicate, might struggle with doubt because this supposed message from God is coming from a human source. And so it seems maybe God could remove all doubt by simply communicating directly to humans. And then there's this big pitfall. And we're going to spend the most time talking about this one. Some might wrongfully claim to be a prophet of God and mislead the people. If you use prophets, then there's going to be some 
who rise up and claim to be prophets, but who really are not. And we know that this happened. We know that it happened a lot. We know that because the Old Testament and the New Testament are replete with warnings against false prophets, against false teachers. I want you to grab your Bible and look in Jeremiah. We're just going to take Jeremiah as an example here. We're going to take a quick overview of some passages here just in this one book where the prophet Jeremiah speaks out against false prophets, those who falsely claim to have a message from God. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 5 at verse 30. Jeremiah 5.30. And get your fingers ready. We're going to flip through here pretty quickly. Jeremiah 5.30, an appalling and a horrible thing has happened in the land, Jeremiah says. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. So the priests are following their lead. The prophets are prophesying falsely. My people love to have it so, but what will you do when the end comes? A very ominous ending to that verse. What are you going to do when the end comes and you have listened and followed false teaching, false prophecy? Look in chapter 14 of Jeremiah, verse 14. And the Lord said to me, the Lord communicated to Jeremiah, who is now communicating to us, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. He, he, the Lord does not beat around the bush here. He does not mince words. They are communicating lies to the people in my name. They're saying that they are speaking the truth of God, but in fact, they are falsehoods, they're lies. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. <laughs> they're not my guys. I didn't send them. I didn't command them to go communicate to you. I didn't speak to them. Don't believe them. They're false prophets. Chapter 23, verses 25 and 26. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesied lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. And we can almost imagine that this sort of thing happened frequently that someone would come along and claim to be a prophet of God, saying, I've had a dream, I've had a dream, it's from God, let me tell you about it. Verse 26, how long shall, shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? One more example, chapter 27 at verse 15 in Jeremiah. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is starting to sound familiar. A common refrain here in Jeremiah. But they are prophesying falsely in my name with the result that I will drive you out and you will perish, you and the prophets who are prophesying to you. So not only will the people who are doing the false prophesying be punished, so will the people who are listening and following their lead. God says, make no mistake, there will be consequences for those who speak falsely in my name and for those who follow after their false teachings. So this is serious business here. And we find this kind of language throughout the Old Testament and the New Warnings against false prophets, false teachers. 
Look with me in our text for tonight. Second Peter chapter 2. This is familiar territory for us. This is where we were this morning. We were in 2 Peter chapter 1, where Peter tells us to hold on, to pay attention to that prophetic word. In this world of darkness, it is like a lamp that is shining. You need to hold fast to it. And he says in verse 20, no prophecy of Scripture comes from somebody's own interpretation. No prophecy was produced by the will of, of man. It was men speaking from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. We talked about those verses this morning. But then look at the very next section. And really it doesn't seem to me that there should be a chapter division here. Of course the verse and chapter divisions were added much later. But Peter continues this thought on prophecy. But now he turns his attention not to faithful genuine prophets of God. But to false prophets. Chapter 2 verse 1. But... False prophets also arose among the people. He's talking about there there were true prophets and they spoke while being carried along by the Spirit and their words are true and trustworthy. But in the same time period, there were false prophets, false teachers, just as there will be false teachers among you. Let's continue reading here who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. So denying the very foundation of the Christian faith, denying God the master through whom they were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Denying even that. Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Again, these same ideas. There will be consequences. Many people will follow after them. Their teaching will be attractive. And because of them, the truth of the gospel will be derided. It will be blasphemed. Peter is saying, false prophets rose up then, and false prophets will rise up among you. It happened, and it happens, and it will happen. Let me share a quote for you from one of your devotional thoughts this next week. A televangelist sits before a live studio audience and tells viewers, God wants believers to prosper financially as long as they send large monthly gifts to fund his ministry. Another prosperity preacher tells his audience how he wishes he had a Holy Ghost machine gun to blow the head off of one of his critics. A disgraced televangelist claims that being caught with a prostitute is no one else's business but his own. The founder of a religious television network goes on the air telling viewers that he is a god. And he grimly cautions others not to criticize him or else God will give them cancer. Now, these are these would be funny if they weren't so sad and dangerous and destructive. And just this last week, I saw an article from Fox News on online, and this was the title. Biblical prophecy claims that the world will end on September 23rd 
Christian numerologists claim. Now, first of all, what in the world is a Christian numerologist? That's the first problem with that headline. And secondly, what I despise about this is that for the average reader, we all get lumped in with with this madness. When somebody reads that, who is not familiar with the Christian faith, they paint with a, a large brush, and that includes us too. They think that we believe this silly stuff. Biblical prophecy claims the world will end on September 23rd. Let me read you a a bit of this. A Christian numerologist, again, what? Claims that the world will end next Saturday when a planet will supposedly collide with earth. According to Christian numerologist David Mead, verses in Luke chapter 21, 25 to 26, are the sign that recent events, such as the recent solar eclipse and Hurricane Harvey, are signs of the apocalypse. Here are the verses. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Men's hearts, failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. September 23rd is a date that was pinpointed using codes from the Bible as well as a date marker in the pyramids of Giza in Egypt. I'm almost done. I want to include this last line because I did appreciate that the writer of this article included this. Mead's views are not endorsed by Roman Catholic, Protestant, or Eastern Orthodox branches of Christianity. So I like the fact that at least they said these are not endorsed by most everybody out there in the Christian world. So... Mr. Mead likes to share with us Luke chapter 21, verses 25 and 26. Don't turn there. I just, uh, I mean, you're welcome to, but uh, I just shared those verses with you. Those are the verses that he says prove or point to an end of the world on September 23rd. Mr. Mead likes to share those verses. I'd like to share this verse with Mr. Mead from Matthew chapter 24, verses, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour... No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. That is a much clearer teaching than the gross speculation that he's shoving into the passages that he picks out from Luke chapter 21. A false prophet, a false teacher. And so as we reflect on the influence that false prophets have had through, through the years, and as we even observe false teachers and false prophets having sometimes very successful ministries today, we might say to ourselves, you know, God could have avoided all of this if He had only decided to communicate directly with His people. That a really big pitfall seems to be that People would rise up and wrongfully claim to be a prophet of God and then mislead folks. So again, let me circle back to this question. Why? Why would God choose to speak, or why did God choose to speak through chosen people? Despite all of these pitfalls that we've discussed, that was still his his means of conveying his message. Well, let me share some reasons with you. 
First of all, God chose this message to, to speak through human agents, human prophets, divine writers, because it required the people to become proactive in discerning truth from error. God conveyed His message to us as preserved in the Holy Scriptures in the way that He did because it required the people to become proactive in discerning truth from error. It took some effort on their part to test what was right and what was wrong. They had to ask questions like, is this person claiming to be a prophet and are his teachings leading me closer to God? Or are they luring me to worship false gods? Is the fruit of their teaching leading me closer into a relationship with God? And I know what that looks like because I have the other scriptures. Or are they leading me astray? Are they luring me to worship false or phony gods? Or what about this? Are the claims accompanied by miraculous deeds? Many of those who were true, authentic prophets of God in the Old Testament and the apostles in the New had these miraculous deeds that they performed to back up the authenticity of their messages. So the people needed to ask, are, is God working through them to do signs and wonders? And then after the fact, do historical events confirm the pronouncement? And that's what we got into this morning. Do historical events prove that the pronouncement, the prophecy was legitimate? So God communicates this way, or communicated this way, because it required the people to become proactive. They they had to put forth some effort in trying to decide what was truly from God and what was not. Secondly, it enabled God to utilize faithful spokesmen. And God throughout history has been all about raising up for himself leaders who could take his message to the world. He's concerned with raising up devoted leaders, not perfect people by any means, but earthen vessels, jars of clay who were faithful to him and to his word. And communicating in the method that he did through the prophets and through the divine writers of scripture, he was able to to raise up leaders for his people. Another reason why God chooses or chose to communicate through special people. It became a test of genuine faith for one had to trust the messenger and the message. So for the people, it became a test whether or not they had faith in God and in God's decision to communicate through a prophet. You know, God has always revealed the truth to humanity in ways that can be resisted or rejected. And we see this in the ministry of Jesus. There were several who by faith believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And there were those who didn't. And Jesus presented himself in a way that could be believed, and we believe it. And he accompanied his work with signs and wonders, but there were a lot of people who didn't believe it. And they killed him for it. Jesus didn't present himself in a way that was going to be accepted the world over. He wasn't irresistible to all. It takes faith to be a Christian. It always has taken faith to be a person of God, to be a people of God, 
And God communicated in this manner because it was a test of genuine faith. The people had to decide whether or not they trusted the messenger and the message that he was proclaiming from the very mouth of God. And finally, it provided a vehicle to communicate God's divine truths to future generations. Because God chose to speak through inspired folks to communicate these messages, they then wrote them down and they have been preserved in this book to serve us today. Like we talked about this morning, the prophets, they knew when they were conveying these messages, they knew that they were serving believers yet unborn. It's incredible. And because God chose to speak through prophets, because He picked that vehicle to communicate His divine truth, we are blessed today. I think about what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. The church, the people of God, this is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The foundation that, that they laid, that God laid through them. And Jesus is, of course, the chief cornerstone. So I hope that this has provided for you some food for thought. And I hope that it has provided some compelling reasons and uh, arguments for why God chose to deliver His message to us in the way that He did. And again, I'll say, it is truly awe-inspiring that throughout history, God chose certain people to record and to preserve the words that we have in the Holy Scriptures. In this completed, and we don't need any more prophets today uh, because we have everything we need here in the completed written word of God. I want to close with 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, which is where I closed this morning. But again, I want this thought to stay with you for, for the rest of this week. Peter says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until the day of the Lord. Until Jesus reappears. Hold on to the prophetic word. Pay attention to it. Tonight, if you have not obeyed the gospel, if you have not said yes to Jesus, if you have not received all the blessings that come with being a child of God, being a follower of Christ, we want to invite you to do that. If there's anybody struggling here tonight with their spiritual well-being, maybe you have gone so far astray you need to be restored into a right relationship with God, or maybe you simply, as Lydia last week, I came forward asking for prayers. Maybe you need prayers for some burden that you are carrying, for some struggle that you're facing. We want to help you in that matter. And we want to pray for you. And we want you to receive the comfort that only God can provide. So would you come forward right now as we stand and sing?